Hey everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and marvelous autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. For this week, we watched NCIS Season 1, Episode 19, titled Dead Man Talking. There'll be talk of disembowelment, skin marbling, and interesting things found in stomachs during autopsies. So, let's get into it. We open it on a fire alarm going off in a building, and the security guard says he thinks it's a false alarm because it's the third time that this has happened this week. He goes to open the elevator, and boom, there is a disemboweled body inside. Cut to the NCIS team's bullpen, and Gibbs comes in and tells the team that Chris Pachi has been murdered. So, the body in the elevator was one of their own. So, the team, obviously, are shaken up by this news, and they go to investigate the scene. But, like, would this be standard protocol? Because I feel like it might be a conflict of interest, so maybe a red flag for them. Right, because I know it's, like, on a naval base, and that's their whole thing. They investigate the crimes on the naval bases. But I feel like every other episode of NCIS, the FBI is trying to insert themselves into the investigation and they're always like you're too close to this you can't investigate this and i'm like where where are those people now this is literally someone who shares an (laughs) office with them and sits next to them and nobody's like no you're too close to this you can't do this investigation i'm like i feel like maybe someone should have but someone should have stepped in yeah i'm not ncis so i don't know the rules but it feels like a red flag (laughs) it definitely feels like red flag But anyway, they get to the scene and the lead detective tells them that the body was found on the elevator while it was coming down from the fifth floor. Dinozo and another agent head up to the fifth floor to investigate and Gibbs stays to talk to the detective and question the witness. So Ducky, R.I.P. to Ducky. I know the actor who played Ducky passed away. Was it a few months ago or a month or two ago? It had to be by now. We're really late to doing a memorial for him. Well, we posted on our Instagram a memorial for yeah. him. We just <laughs> haven't done an NCIS episode. I feel like it was too fresh for us. We were very upset. <laughs> we didn't want to watch. Because he is my favorite TV pathologist. He reminds us of one of, or reminds me of one of the pathologists we work with. <gasps> yes, he does. For sure. <laughs> was just- I know you're talking yeah. about <laughs> and so i always i always get sentimental when i see him and yeah it was really really sad to hear the news that he passed i know watching these episodes just hits different now yeah so ducky and his assistant are there as well to investigate the body in the elevator we get a quick shot of the bowels hanging out of this guy but and like we tried to pause it to get a closer look and it kind of it may have looked real but like we did a pause, as we do, to investigate further on these autopsy scenes and body scenes. And they definitely do not look real, like Ducky goes on to say, that it's easier. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, listen, I, like, okay. They do it in, like, a quick flash. So if you don't pause it, it's like, whoa, look at all that gore. But listen, if you're going to put a disemboweled body on your TV show, you bet your ass I'm going to pause it and tell you <laughs> accurate it looks you bet your ass <laughs> you bet your ass i'm gonna pause it and look at those intestines and they looked plastic but they listen. looked like how our autopsy dummies at work look like it's it the fake foam the blood yeah. uh, we talked about this the other day the foam like the blood wasn't even seeping into the foam it was just like dripping off it was like sticking because it's plastic it was like dripping off it was yeah but i mean I paused it and analyzed this, like, half of a second <laughs> frame. So I'm just being very nitpicky. But also, this was 2003. Yeah. 
Let's <laughs> give him some credit where credit we is We will due. definitely be posting but... the screenshot we took of this scene to our Instagram for everybody else to yeah. see too. But Ducky goes on to say that it is easier to overcome the gore and inhumanity of the job when you don't know the victim, but it is hard to detach when it is one of your own. Like, exactly. He just said it. NCIS should not be investigating this case. It's so personal to all of them, and I I don't know what- They're too emotionally attached. There should be a protocol in place where you don't investigate your coworker's murder. (laughs) (laughs) The assistant asks if he should start taking photos, and he does, so we give a green flag for him, and Gibbs is talking to the security guard who says that someone must have left through the rear exit, and this is what tripped the alarm in the beginning. Gibbs asks if the security camera would have caught the person who ran out the back door, but according to the security guard, the camera is not installed yet. The building is being retrofitted, and nothing is online. Gibbs is having a hard time detaching himself from the case, as he should, because he's too close to it. But he goes on to questioning and asks what time the victim, he stops himself from saying Chris, entered the building. But the security guard doesn't remember seeing him come in. There's only one entrance in the lobby, so Gibbs is frustrated that the security guard somehow missed Chris coming into the building. And the guard said that maybe Chris came in while he was signing the construction workers out and Gibbs says he wants a list of all of the workers and what floors they were on. He goes into the elevator to talk to Ducky and Ducky says that he doesn't think disembowelment was the cause of death. But Gibbs and Ducky notice a bullet wound on the right side of the victim's neck and Ducky says that the bullet most likely pierced his carotid artery, which is the main artery supply of oxygenated blood to the head. And Ducky says that it would have been a very quick death and he likely would have bled out in less than a minute, which is true. And Gibbs notices a lack of blood in the elevator and Ducky says he thinks he was shot somewhere else and then disemboweled in the elevator. Gibbs asks if the disembowelment was the cause of the attacker's rage or if it was some kind of ritual and Gibbs then shares that Chris had tried to come to talk to him the other day about a cold case but that he brushed him off. Gibbs is clearly feeling guilty now that Chris is dead, and Ducky tells him it isn't his fault, but he still feels like it is. He gets a call from an agent on the fifth floor saying they found a lot of blood, and Gibbs tells her that they're looking for a bullet. The agent says that whatever happened started on the sixth floor, and then they followed the trail backwards to the fifth floor. Kate, the agent, goes on to explain that Chris was shot on the sixth floor, made it to the stairwell, exited to the fifth floor where he pulled the fire alarm and made it to the elevator. So back in the office, the office goes to Chris's desks and they look through his drawers for any evidence of what they could find or like what he could have been up to before he was killed. And they find his gun in one of the desk drawers and are surprised because agents aren't supposed to keep their guns on them from portal to portal. So it's odd that he left this at his desk. Gibbs thinks that he was tailing somebody and didn't want to risk identifying himself or setting off an alarm. Gibbs sends Kate and Dinozo to Chris's house to investigate there. When they arrive, Kate says that it feels odd invading their colleague's privacy going through his personal things, and Dinozo snaps back that he's dead with his guts hanging out. His privacy is as invaded as it's going to get. Just then, Chris's house phone rings, and Dinozo answers it. It's McGee, another agent, 
On the other line, he says that Chris asked him to do something for him and asks if Chris is there for him to speak to. Dinozo then breaks the news to McGee that Chris is dead, and McGee tells Dinozo that Chris asked him to get civilian files from a cold case that's three years old. The report is a car accident report, but McGee hasn't read it. Dinozo tells McGee to meet him at NCIS headquarters first thing in the morning with the file. Cut to the next morning, and we see Gibbs going to talk to Abby in the lab. She's already run the bullet, so she was in at 4 a.m., and she says the slug looks pretty clean from a 357, and it's based on the rifling. It's from a Smith & Wesson Model 66. So a slug is a term used for a bulky, solid ballistic projectile. It's solid in a sense that it's composed of one piece. And rifling, I believe we've mentioned this before, is the helical grooves machined into the internal surfaces of the firearm barrel for imparting like the spin on the projectile to improve its aerodynamic stability and accuracy. And this will leave a pattern on the bullet so you can tell what gun it came from. Abby ran a comparison through NIBIN, the National Integrating Ballistic Information Network, and didn't get anything back, but she says she'll keep searching. Gibbs tells Abby to search the hard drive on Chris's computer to see if she can find anything about the cold case that he was working on when he died. In the morgue, Ducky is working on Chris Patchy's autopsy. He found that the bu- I wonder... <laughs> He didn't really have to do much cutting. He was already just pretty much open. (laughs) I know. They did like a half Y incision, which is not how we would have done ours. No. But they also, I don't know if you noticed this, they had like chest openers that you would use in surgery. Yes, I did notice that. I meant to make a note of it. I was like, why, why, Ducky? Why are you using that? Right? I was wondering if he was... I don't know. We never, I've never used those for an autopsy. Because you just take the breastplate right. off and then everything's open. So you don't need to have something to keep it open for you. Was the chest plate off? I'm trying to remember. They didn't really show much inside the body at this point. You kind of just got like yeah. shots on the side angle. You didn't really get an aerial shot of inside. Maybe they didn't fully take the chest plate off then. But later he digs in the esophagus to get something out. No spoiler. <laughs> Like, this is confusing. This is confusing. (laughs) Ducky found that the bullet tore through the carotid artery, like he thought, and says the blood loss while Chris was fleeing was almost instantly fatal. Ducky thinks that the disembowelment was done post-mortem, thank God, but says it's hard to tell. One easy way to tell an anti-mortem wound from a post-mortem wound is if there's any sign of inflammation. I feel like we've also mentioned this quite a few times. If there is inflammation, it's likely anti-mortem. Another way to look is if the wound has a yellowish-brown bloodless appearance, meaning a lack of vital reaction. This could mean that it's postmortem. And lastly, you could always look for signs of hemorrhaging if there's bleeding in the muscle around the wound. And this would mean that it was anti-mortem because the blood has to be pumping for all that to happen and for any inflammation to occur. So Ducky goes on to say that a three to four inch blade was thrust into Chris below the sternum and sliced straight down below. And then two more indiscriminate incisions were done next, like on the sides, just to kind of open him up. Gibbs asks again if Ducky thinks this was a rage or a ritual, and Ducky says neither. He thinks the killer was looking for something. He takes Gibbs over to an x-ray image of Chris's thorax to show that there was something lodged in his upper alimentary canal. So the alimentary canal is just fancy word for your GI tract. It's where food passes, so it goes from mouth to anus. So Ducky is saying that it looks like something is lodged in his upper esophagus, and it looks kind of like a memory card. Gibbs puts together that this would have been hard to find without an x-ray, especially if alarms were blaring and security was alerted. 
So he thinks Chris knew the killer was going to try to take this memory card. So he swallowed it, set off the alarms as a distraction to alert security so the killer wouldn't have time to find it. Ducky is able to pull the memory card out of the esophagus, which they see is from a digital camera. Gibbs says that Chris knew he was dying and he knew Ducky would be the one doing the autopsy. Chris wanted Ducky to find the memory card. So would a memory card still be readable after it was swallowed? So we tried to look this up and it doesn't seem like a memory card. So it doesn't seem like this memory card made it down to the stomach. So like no stomach acid corroded it. The SD card connectors would probably be the first part to corrode, but the semiconductor memory is encapsulated separately in epoxy, which is quite tough. So the data could possibly be recovered. I also just want to note that we're going to give a green flag for some flashes of Chris's body that we see on the table. There's some nice details in the makeup on the skin. They showed the early signs of skin marbling, which happens when bacteria starts to travel through blood vessels in the body. It's like one of the earliest signs of decomposition. And it literally looks like the skin is marbled a purpley red. It's very interesting to see in person. It is a super cool like post-mortem change. Yeah. And I think they did a pretty good job showing it on him. Yeah. Yeah. On like the skin. It looks really good. I know I was very harsh on their fake intestines, but their makeup work. They made up for this. <laughs> yeah, they did skin marbling very, very well. Back in the office, the team is looking through the photos that were recovered from the memory card, and they look like surveillance photos of a woman. They're all candid photos, and based on the date time stamp, they were all taken within the last two days. Kate interviewed all the construction workers in the building where Chris's body was found, and none of them remember seeing him or seeing anything odd, but one of them did find Chris's NCIS-issued camera at the bottom of the stairwell that morning. And, you guessed it, the memory card is missing. McGee shows up with the file that Chris had asked him to look for. It's a civil investigation of an automobile accident from three years ago where a naval officer was killed. Gibbs remembers the case and says that Lieutenant Commander Voss was under investigation for credit card fraud because he stole over $10 million from the Navy. He died in a car accident before they could file charges. The money was never found and the case went cold, and Gibbs guesses that Chris opened the case again because he found a lead on where the money went. Gibbs sends Dinozo and McGee to find the woman from the memory card photos to see if she has anything to do with the missing money. After they leave, Kate reads the report and sees that Lieutenant Commander Voss burned to death. Kate and Gibbs bring Voss's autopsy report to Ducky to look over. The autopsy of Voss was done by a Dr. Hugh Putnam, who Ducky says is a competent and thorough ME, so he doesn't think he made any mistakes. Gibbs and Kate leave Ducky to read the report, and Ducky goes over again to Chris's body, and I like this part. He asks Chris's body why he left them with such a mystery and what he should be looking for in this autopsy report. And as he's talking to the dead body, Ducky's assistant walks in and then just like slowly backs out of the room, (laughs) which I thought was funny. It was like the Homer Simpson meme of him just going back into the bush. Yes. (laughs) So we cut to Gibbs and Gate on a ship interviewing a Navy officer about Lieutenant Commander Voss. This is the captain, and he tells them that he already told everything he knew to Chris Patchy and that they should just talk to him. And this is when Gibbs tells the captain that Chris Patchy was murdered last night. We learned that the captain was Lieutenant Commander Voss's CO when he was under investigation. The captain says he was shocked when Voss was accused of the credit card fraud and says that thousands of military and civilian employees had access to those credit cards, and that's why he was able to pull off the fraud. The captain goes on to say that in order to cut down on cash dispersed, the DOD issues credit cards. A phony company was set up making small charges against a vast number of these accounts accounts that Commander Voss had approved. 
Voss didn't get caught for almost four years, but then he decided to expand the scam to bilk the entire Atlantic Fleet command, and he got $12 million before he was caught. Nobody knows what happened to the money, and when Commander Voss died, all he had were his savings that seemed reasonable for his job, so nothing seems suspicious. The captain says that this is why he's uncertain if Voss actually even committed the fraud to begin with. The captain also tells them that Chris Patchy didn't ask him anything about Voss's scam, but he was just curious about who Voss had dated, which he didn't know the answer to. We then cut to McGee and Dinozo at the office, and McGee is able to find the address of the woman who was photographed by Patchy. So this is crazy. He was able to get the address using Chris's photos. The photos were taken mostly from wherever this woman lives, and McGee identifies a tree outside as a Quercus Virginia, which is a specific type of oak tree, apparently. He then searched the registry for the Arboretum Society and showed that 28 streets have these trees planted with this genus of specific tree. He was able to narrow it down even further by identifying a Victorian street light that dates back to 1905, and this light is only installed on seven of those 28 streets. He was then able to zoom in even further and see her mailbox number reads 215 and was able to eliminate four of the seven because they don't have three-digit addresses. And then of the remaining three, only one, according to the U.S. Postal Service, had a mailbox in the middle of the block, which is also shown in the photographs that Chris Patchy took. So Gibbs and Kate come back to the office as Denuso is running the address through search engine to get the woman's name comes up with a woman named Amanda Reed, and Gibbs tells Kate to do a deep background check on her. Gibbs and Dinoza go to the woman's street, and Kate is unable to find any criminal record on Amanda, and in fact, she sounds like an upstanding citizen. She paid for her townhouse in cash, so she has no mortgage, and was recently accepted to a country club. Dinoza offers to interview her, but Gibbs says that Chris must have been keeping his distance for a reason and until they know more about this amanda woman they will do the same gibbs finds out where chris was taking his photographs from and it's an apartment that has a for rent sign in the window so gibbs goes to talk to the building manager and asks about the apartment he shows him his ncis badge and the manager says a guy the other day showed him a badge just like that he says that chris just took some pictures inside the apartment and said he'd get back to him Gibbs asks to see the apartment and says that he's going to rent it. He tells Dinoza that they're going to go on a stakeout in the apartment to pick up where Chris left off. Back at the office, Kate has found that Amanda Reed doesn't have a vehicle registered to her name or a driver's license, but a lot of people don't have cars in the city. Dinoza runs a title search on the townhouse that Amanda lives in and finds out that it was in the Voss family for three generations until Commander Voss's father lost it in bankruptcy in 1979. Wait, I'm sorry. I have a question about her not having an ID. I know she paid for the townhouse in cash, but there's like no paperwork where she had to like show any form of ID. Okay, yeah, because when I bought my house, they had to take my ID. They took so much of my information. Right. And I know they talked to the realtor a little later, but, like, she doesn't have a driver's license. Does she have any other kind of, like, state-issued ID? Because I know they have other IDs that aren't. Yeah, they don't mention that. Like, driver's licenses. But they never mention any other ID. But I was just curious. I just thought of that now when, like, she bought a home. Like, I feel like you need some kind of identification, even if you're paying in cash. But, you know, I've never paid for an entire house in cash, and I probably never will. I don't plan on doing that. (laughs) I don't plan on using cash to pay for a house anytime soon. But if anybody out there knows the answer to that, let us know. 
So McGee gets the surveillance equipment to set up in the apartment for the stakeout in the van and finds out that Chris had sent in a requisition for a lot of the same equipment but never picked it up. Kate and Gibbs go to take the first rotation of the stakeout and Gibbs is in the apartment with the camera and recording equipment and Kate was following Amanda on the street. The only place Amanda went while Kate was watching her was Starbucks and to a pharmacy to pick up a prescription. Donozo goes to talk to the realtor who sold Amanda to the townhouse, and she says that she was unlike any other client she worked with. She paid full price in cash, no contingencies, and they closed in 15 days. She also says she already told this to Chris Patchy, who came to see her about two or three years ago, and he told her that he wanted to be notified if the townhouse was ever on the market. She forgot to call him when it was up on the market, but called to notify him that someone bought it. She expected him to be upset because she had assumed that he wanted to buy the house, but she said she was surprised because he actually sounded excited. She also says that this was such a clean deal, she didn't need to look into Amanda's tax returns or loan applications. Or any kind of photo ID, apparently. Or making sure that this woman exists. Right. So back at the stakeout uh, in the apartment, it still doesn't seem like Amanda is up to anything exciting, and Gibbs is going through Chris's old files from his computer, but he didn't leave much of a computer trail because he was looking into the Bangkok's Visitor Bureau, but couldn't figure out why. There's a knock at the door, and Kate goes to answer it, and it's McGee and Donozo. McGee found out that Amanda Reed's prior residence was only eight miles from where Lieutenant Commander Voss was stationed. Before that, she lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and while Commander Lieutenant Voss was at Mayport Naval Station, that was 10 miles away from Jacksonville. And just before that, she lived outside of San Diego, where Voss pulled duty at Coronado. So they clearly knew each other and were probably dating, and Gibbs and Kate switch out from staking out with McGee and Dinozo, and Gibbs tells them that tomorrow is garbage day, so they need to look through her trash when she takes it out that night. We cut to the morgue, and Gibbs goes to talk to Ducky. Ducky says that he didn't find anything wrong with Lieutenant Commander Voss's autopsy report. He says it was detailed and complete. They used a DNA match to identify Voss because the body was so badly burned in the automobile crash. Gibbs asks Ducky if there would still be a tissue sample in their evidence locker, and Ducky thinks that there would be, so he wants Abby to rerun the DNA. So back at the stakeout, McGee is going through Amanda's trash, and Dinozo is listening on the phone call she's on. She's complaining to someone that she has to go through a historical committee about painting her door or whatever, and then McGee... See, he's, like, going through all of her trash, and he can only tell that she loves bananas and mangoes, and she uses lots of beauty products. Same. (laughs) Same, girl. I love bananas (laughs) and mangoes and beauty products. (laughs) I have my, I did my skincare right before recording this. (laughs) Took a shower, did some skincare. My routine is to do it after (laughs) we record. (laughs) I had just worked out before, so, like, I had a shower and just did it before. (laughs) Sorry, nobody needs to know that, and I just felt like sharing that. Amanda is outside tending to her plants, and Dinoza sees her, and he eagerly runs over and goes to talk to her. It's it's important to note that he thinks she's smoking hot. Oh, yes. Dinozo, if you're not familiar with NCIS, Dinozo is a womanizer, and a, he, any woman he finds attractive, he's going to talk her up and try to charm her, and that's exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah, so he runs over, and he's just excited to talk to her. So, back at the office... Ducky's bringing Abby the blood and tissue samples from the Voss case. 
So I'm going to give a green flag here because we see them clearly signing a chain of custody when Ducky is handing over this evidence, which is really cool to see. I like that. They never show I know. that. I feel like they never they skip over this step. They always I feel like sometimes they talk about it like, oh, we got to get a chain of custody mm-hmm. or like we got to follow a chain of custody. But I liked seeing it as like just a casual thing while they're talking. They like passed the clipboard over and signed and did it real quick. And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. I think I also noticed in the beginning they use the same plastic evidence bags that we have that you can get from searchy forensics. <laughs> <laughs> I get excited whenever I see those in TV shows. I'm like, oh, my God, it's accurate. We use those. Nobody else cares. They're like, it's a plastic <laughs> I bag. I care. And I'm like, no. It's the plastic bag. It's important. (laughs) (laughs) So Ducky says the DNA and identification were as positive as it comes, but Gibbs doesn't buy it. Abby says that DNA doesn't lie, and Ducky responds, tell that to Gibbs. Gibbs notices the surveillance footage. Abby has been getting a live feed from it to her lab from the apartment that the agents are in, and says that it's an unusual surveillance technique to go to talk to the person that they're surveying. And we see on the screen in the lab that Denozo is talking to Amanda while she's outside. So Abby calls McGee and asks what the hell Denozo is up to. McGee didn't know that Denozo had gone outside to talk to Amanda. McGee jumps up to see what Denozo is up to from the camera in the window and also is listening in on their conversation. Denozo is making up some story to Amanda that he's having trouble getting his front door painted because he overheard that conversation she was having. And Amanda tells him that she can relate because she just got off the phone, which he knew. I would be so suspicious. Like, can you, I've, I was in my apartment by myself and I was on the phone complaining to someone about something. And then I hung up, left my apartment, and there was just a man outside. He's like, you know what I hate? The exact thing you were just complaining about. I'd be so suspicious. I'd be (laughs) like, like, how do you know that? I'm like, all right. You're going to get away from me right now. (laughs) Why do you know that? So she introduces herself, and Denozo makes up some name and calls himself Stringfellow. Kate and Gibbs come back to the apartment to relieve Denozo and McGee, and Gibbs tells them to send the trash they collected from Amanda's place to Abby to get prints. Just then, they get a call from Abby telling them that she hasn't run the DNA yet, but she didn't need to. She says the crispy critter from the crass is blood type O positive, and that Voss is AB negative, so Voss is alive, and they clearly did not have that perfect DNA match like they thought. Gibbs and Kate go to Geotech, who were responsible for the DNA testing Voss originally had at his autopsy, and Kate tells the lab while they were on the way and asks to speak to Joshua Laurie, a tech that tested the DNA. They tell her that he died two years ago in a car crash. (gasps) Oh my god. Gasp. (laughs) Gasp. Here's my shocked face. That something went wrong. Back at the stakeout apartment, Dinozo sees that Amanda got a package. He also sees that Amanda seems a little distracted in her apartment, so he thinks that this is the perfect opportunity. He runs over to look at the package to see the return address. McGee tries to stop him, but he's already out the door. McGee watches from the window, and Denozo sees the package is anti-aging cream, just as Amanda opens her door. She recognizes Denozo, calls him Stringfellow, and asks what he's doing there. He says... I could say I'm your new mailman. And he says it like, he just like wants to talk to her more and like date her. He's trying to charm her because everybody's always charmed in the show by Denuzo. By him. <laughs> yeah. She responds that she wouldn't believe that. He tries to play it off then by just saying he wanted to see her again, which she does buy. 
And then she offers him an espresso and invites him inside. This obviously stresses McGee out. And then back... Same. (laughs) I was like, oh, poor McGee. Season one, McGee. I was so stressed for season one, McGee. He's not even like in the bullpen with them yet. He's just like the lackey that tags along. Yeah. And this is his first stakeout. And of course, he got paired with Dinozo. Oh, man. So back in the office, Kate finds out that Voss and Joshua Laurie, the DNA tech, graduated from the same high school in the same year. So Gibbs thinks that Voss is alive and gets his old high school friend to fake the DNA identification. He then killed his high school friend to cover the tracks. Kate thinks this is a crazy idea, but Gibbs points out that Voss killed whoever actually died in that car crash where he faked his death and then killed Chris. He realizes that if he caught Chris telling him that he might be on to them too. He calls the stakeout apartment and McGee answers. Gibbs asks for Dinozo and McGee confesses to Gibbs that he's across the street talking to Amanda. Gibbs is obviously upset and tells McGee that Voss is watching them watch Amanda. Cut to the footage of Dinozo in Amanda's house and she's inviting him to go eat at a nearby pub. She says that she's going to change and Dinozo says that he will wait outside. He then books it across the street to that apartment that they're in and McGee puts Dinozo on the phone with Gibbs who asks what the hell he's doing. Gibbs tells Dinozo that he is now the bait since now Voss is watching him like he was watching Chris. Gibbs tells him to enjoy the date and to stay out of elevators. Abby got the prints back from the garbage, and it turns out that Amanda and Voss are the same person. So Dinozo is on a date with Voss. Gibbs tries to tell Dinozo that, but he doesn't answer, because Voss slash Amanda convinces him to ignore it. McGee is watching from the bar, and Amanda slash Voss start kissing, and Amanda goes to the bathroom to wash her hands real quick, and Dinozo calls Gibbs back. Gibbs tells Dinozo that Amanda and Voss are the same person and that Amanda is the one that killed Chris. When she comes back, Dinozo pulls out his gun and tells her to open her purse. She grabs his gun and it goes off and she yells and runs from the table saying that he attacked her. Other patrons at the pub tackle Dinozo and McGee tries to help saying that they're federal agents, but he also gets stopped. Amanda makes her way out and pulls a gun from her purse, but Gibbs and Kate are at the door. Gibbs has a gun to her head, and he says, His name was Special Agent Chris Patchy, and he was a friend. Amanda tries to pull her gun, and Gibbs shoots her in the head. Can you imagine if you're just at that pub, like for a drink at the bar, and then suddenly there's a lady screaming, guns are going off, and that lady that was screaming gets shot in the head? Like, those patrons... That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. I did not expect that ending... And I just want to say, Jess and I talked about this earlier. This episode is very dated. Very 2003. Yeah. If you do plan on watching this episode after we've talked about it, uh, they make some not cool, not great jokes about Amanda being trans. And also they find out that she was planning on going to Bangkok to get gender affirming surgery and that's why Chris was looking into going to Bangkok or just was looking into the Bangkok on his computer. And, uh, yeah, they make some not great jokes about gender-affirming surgery and all that, which I didn't think was cool at all. I didn't know that's where this episode was going. So just if you decide you want to watch this episode after you hear us talk about it, go into it knowing that. And if that's something that's not great for your mental health, I wouldn't recommend watching it. Just watch the first 10 minutes. So you can see the autopsy scene. Yeah, we'll post a picture of the really bad 
uh, organs if you just want to see that part. <laughs> so we'll save you the trouble of having to hear their awful jokes. That I'm using heavy air quotes around the word jokes because yeah, been funny. Yeah. The most exciting part of this episode for us was the strange things being found inside bodies at autopsies. Have you ever been asked that? Yes. Like, what's the craziest thing you found? I've been asked that, and I don't have any good answers. I've never found anything really crazy. I know. Like, I always try to think. I was like, no, it's just, like, weird food that people eat, which is really gross, and I don't want to really, like, talk about that. Nope. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that I saw pea soup in somebody's stomach. Saw some rice. <laughs> Ugh. yeah do you remember the one time it wasn't in a body it was on the body we found a slug yeah i took him outside <laughs> <laughs> i ran him outside i didn't i wasn't fully gowned up yet we were just doing the external exam so like i just had my scrubs on and i just like scooped him up and like ran him outside yeah this body was found outside in um like a, a wooded area there have been times so we had for a while so our building's relatively new and there must have been frogs nearby and there was a while where we were just finding like frogs around our building or sometimes they'd come in like in our building somehow and so we'd find like little frogs and i'd take them outside and i told someone once they're like oh how was work and i was like oh i found a frog and they're like in a body and i'm like you know what that's my fault (laughs) For not telling the story about it. I should have led with you not know what I body. do for work, so I know you're gonna assume everything I tell you is about bodies. <laughs> no, this was just I found it around the building. <laughs> I do remember that. I miss the frogs. I know. <laughs> I'll take frogs over spiders. We do find a lot of spiders in the building, not inside bodies again. I think it's too cold for all of them right now. I do scoop the spiders up and take those outside too. Thank you. It's my unof- unofficial <laughs> job. There was one She's time our bug I- tech. There's one time I came in and I go to the back in the morgue and there's just, there's a cup over something and I don't know what it is. And so I go back into the office and I'm like, hey, Jazz, what's waiting for me under this cup? And she's like, oh, it's a spider. Can you take it outside? I'm like, yes. <laughs> just I didn't for know, you. I knew it was going to be, I didn't know if it was a spider or sometimes uh, any other bug, like a beetle or something I'll take outside. But I was like, we oh, used to have cockroaches in our old building. Yes. I used to scoop those up too. We work in lovely conditions. <laughs> yeah, but I've never found any of those things inside of a person. Yeah. But we did find two articles, or more of listicles, from Ranker.com and ThoughtCatalog.com that both talked to people who work doing autopsies or work in the field and have discovered some weird things in their autopsy exams. So I thought we could go through those. Oh my god, the first thing on this list, on the ranker one, is a frog. So this person said, I used to take x-rays in the morgue for suspicious deaths and murders, and one time we were doing an abdomen x-ray on a guy who was found in a golf course pond. They rolled him over to the side to gather the plate with a live live frog wriggled out of his butt. Oh my god. No. Ew, could you imagine? The morgue tech caught him and put him in a specimen jar. Hey, I found my kindred spirit. It's you. They took some debris from a bag and put him in the jar and poked holes in the lid. And then they Googled what type of frog he was to confirm that he was native to the area. Oh, wow. They were really thoughtful. And then they biked him back and released him to the pond. Oh, my God. At least he could live his full life. Full little froggy life. 
This next one is a submission from Reddit and said Barbie doll heads. And the user said, my friend who does autopsies found Barbie doll heads in the intestines of a 21-year-old woman. Yes, Barbie dolls, Ken dolls, those stuff. And the weird part is she died from COPD. Okay. Do you think this is true? I think she probably had some type of mental illness, which maybe it was like schizophrenia or something, where she felt that she needed to eat doll heads. How I don't know how big how big were these doll heads because there's some Barbies that are small and like they're not that big. They're Barbie doll heads. I feel like this is just a really crazy episode of uh, Criminal Minds. Barbie doll. I don't know. I'm just wondering, would the Barbie doll head make it all the way to the intestines? Like, would it? It, it has to find its way out somehow. I, mean, I guess it could. True. Would you still be able to tell it was Barbie? I think so. I think they have a very distinct head. This next one, these are all, I think, submissions from Reddit, but they're just listed on a ranker list. Uh, This one said pins and needles. So their story is, back in the 90s, I worked for a company that was contracted to move bodies for the coroner. We picked up the body of a lady who had worked as a tailor in her youth. When they did the postmortem, there were several dressmaking pins and needles under her skin, mainly her legs. There were also a pin lodged in her lung, and the coroner thought she must have inhaled it. She'd suffered from a pulmonary embolism back in the 60s, which had forced her to retire. So maybe the pin was the cause of it. How she hadn't felt the pins or that none of them had been picked up on the x-rays or scans that she'd had later in life, they didn't know. Her cause of death was a stroke. So wait, they found... So they were... I'm, I was picturing that she had, like, recently just stuck needles That's in her so weird it didn't show up skin, on x-ray. But, like... She must have had them there, and then the skin grow, grew over it? And then x-rays never picked it up? That's crazy. You should find a different rad tech to, to do your x-rays. Pennies is next on the list. Hundreds of pennies, nearly $6 worth, inside the skin all over the arms and legs. The deceased was a hermit who lived alone and ordered out for every meal. Apparently he had them surgically implanted in his skin for years no clue why that's a horrible doctor yeah like where do you get that done i think it's just a shady doctor just a shady doctor who's trying to take your money that's so insane i want to see that man's license or that woman's license (laughs) putting pennies under your skin oh this one this one is scary a pathologist at a conference said that during her training at a medical examiner's office they were doing an autopsy on a body that was found in a river They did a CT, and something looked funny about his gut. They opened him up, and something in his stomach moved. It was a snake that had burrowed inside his body. It struck and bit one of the techs before they realized what was going on. Oh my god, if I saw something move inside the body, I would quit. I'd run away and quit. Walk out immediately. Okay, so that's, yeah, that'd probably be up there for me. I know I've said I'd run away and quit if a body sat up during the like if somebody was alive in the morgue mm-hmm. when they weren't supposed to be. That's quite a story. Like, oh, how did you get a snake bite? I was doing an autopsy and like <laughs> Bur- do that. That must have been outside. Like the body must have been outside in the river for a really long time for the snake to like make its way inside and for there to not be like an obvious sign that something had burrowed in it before they cut. Mm-hmm. They like they saw something in the CT, and so they cut to find. 
freaking snake. I wonder how big the snake was. Yeah, maybe it wasn't that big of a snake. I'm picturing like an anaconda. <laughs> it's not that. I know. I'm picturing freaking that cheesy horror movie, Piranaconda. That was like a bad sci-fi movie. But that's what me and my family always reference when we're talking about like lake monsters. We're like, no, it's Piranaconda. Yeah. Maybe it was a tiny baby snake. Octopus tentacles. A man died of blood loss, but we found bits of octopus tentacle in his lungs. Oh, my God. He was not in water at all before coming into the ER. So how did he get octopus? They're in his lungs. Did he eat octopus? But it's in his lungs. Did he choke on it? Possibly. He was in the ICU for four days. And he died of blood loss. I wonder if he ate really bad, like, seafood, octopus, something, and that put him in the ICU. And it was, like, still alive and wiggling around. But it was in his lungs, not in his stomach. It, like, went to his lungs. That's crazy. Not even, like, in his trachea. It was, like, fully in the lungs. How? How does that happen? These are all also, like I'm saying, we're reading a Ranker article, so these are all from Reddit. I don't know how true all of these stories are. There's, like, no There's no more information than that. I, it's literally, there's just, like, two sentences each. I just Googled things found in autopsy for fun. A scalpel. Well, that's no good. Oh, my God. This person says that they are a medical student, and one time when we had a pathology course, the professor took us to see an autopsy, and oh, boy, it was fun. I'm glad it was fun for you. I hope you're not being sarcastic. The cause of death was not clear at that moment, but the doctor pulled out a scalpel wrapped in a cloth that must have been left from the surgery before. The man was lucky the blade didn't somehow penetrate his bowel, or his story could have ended earlier than it did. Sue that hospital. What? For real. So that's, that's, he didn't like swallow that. That was left inside him. Yeah. That happened. So like sometimes when we get bodies that have come from like a hospital or like a surgery or something, they leave. There was one time they left a blade um, underneath the body. So when we rolled him up, we had this open blade. Sometimes they leave like needles in there, but to leave it inside the body. Yeah, that's bad. All right, I'm moving on to the next one, the thoughtcatalog.com article. And there's some of these that overlap, but this one's a new one. We had a guy who took a bullet to the back of the head, execution style, and after the x-ray determined the bullet was not in his head anymore, we couldn't find an exit wound anywhere. Was it intraoral? Oh, no. Once we took out the brain, we discovered it exited perfectly out of one of his nostrils leaving no trace of an external exit wound. That's crazy. That's wild. I was thinking, because sometimes when you can't find, at least when I see like gunshot wounds to the head, if you can't see an obvious entrance or exit, I'm like, oh, is it inside the mouth? Like I was like, <laughs> look in the mouth and like, oh my God, but like the nose. I feel like I've heard a story where it like perfectly went out the ear canal. Ooh. And like, it just looked like the ear was bleeding. And then you're like, oh wait, that's the exit wound. That's crazy. Yeah. This one... I just read really quickly is freaky. My brother-in-law was in his early 60s and passed away from a heart attack. During his autopsy, it was noted that he had one kidney. He had never had a kidney removed, and the only surgery he had ever had was when he had his appendix removed. And the mortician said that it did look like it was in fact removed and not a birth defect. The appendix surgery happened when he was very young. So a, someone went in for an they stole his fucking kidney. They stole his kidney. Straight up stole his kidney. That is 
insane. That just made me that made me think of a case we just had where he didn't have a a right lung and we talked to the wife and she was like, "What do you mean?" And our investigator was like, "What do you mean what I mean? He didn't have a lung. Like, what happened? Did he have surgery?" Oh, and it was like it was a birth defect. But that also reminds me my sister had surgery a few years ago. She had a cyst on her right ovary. And they stole her appendix. He was the doctor was like, I don't like the look of it. I'm gonna take it out. She knew about it, like after the fact. She knew about it. After. Oh my god! I thought she like <laughs> had another procedure, and they're like, Oh, when'd you get your appendix out? And she's like, I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's another one? An 88 year old grandma died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, that's sad. During the autopsy, we couldn't open the back of the cranium. After much drilling, we realized that her cranium was around three to four centimeters thick all the way around, leaving her with the smallest brain on a grown woman I've ever seen. She was fully functioning and never seemed affected by it in the slightest. I've never seen anything like it. Oh, this list is just weird things. I've noticed that like so many like older people, like they have the thickest skulls. Yeah. It's always the people I least suspect. Uh-huh. It's always, like, someone super tiny. You know, you just have a really thick skull when I'm trying to get into it. Ooh, toothpick inside the small intestine? That's all it says. It just says toothpick in the small intestine. Oh, my God. It's on number 12. Incidental finding of a toothpick lodged in the small intestine. Ooh. Guessing they were, like, one of those people who, like, uses, like, the toothpick yeah. and accidentally swallowed it. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I'll see what happens. Elderly female with five very old tampons in her vaginal canal (gasps) oh no that hurts saw photos of a young guy who died at home and his pet fox then ate part of his face oh we've seen that not by a fox we've seen that with dogs your dogs and cats will do that because you smell different to them yes i was just gonna say that it, because you don't smell like you anymore and you smell just like food and so they're if they're hungry enough they will and it usually starts at the face first because they'll start by like licking and just lick until they get to bone and your skin is just like on your face it's just so close to the bone anyway it's freaky to see in person though this person worked as a pathology assistant his boss once found a six-inch builder's nail in a chap's thigh. I wonder this guy must be British or something. So in a guy's thigh. He died on site after an accident, but the nail was all healed over, even where it had nicked the bone. So it must have been there for a few years. I've seen that with bullets. Oh, yeah, we have. Sometimes like it's, e- it's easier for like surgeons to leave the bullet in because they might do more damage trying to remove it. And it will, like, have, um, like, scar tissue encapsulating it. And you can tell it's, like, it's an old bullet. Yeah, we have seen that. While completing the post-autopsy repair for a gentleman, I found a plastic ladle tucked under the ribs. It was probably left by some poor autopsy tech who got yelled at (laughs) for losing the good ladle. That is a fear of mine. (laughs) Like, whenever... After we're cleaning up, after exams, if I'm the one cleaning the tools, I, like, make take a mental note of everything. I'm like, okay, we have all the scalpels we're supposed to have. We have all of yeah. the other things, we're, all the forceps, all the scissors we're supposed to have. I was like, okay, nothing got left behind. We're good. <laughs> like, and there was, like, nothing's accidentally in a, in a body bag, not in a body. I'm, we're, we're very certain that we don't leave anything in bodies. Yeah, but if you work 
as an autopsy tech or you work doing autopsies of any kind and you have any strange stories about what you found and you're able to share, please let us know. I'd love to hear more about it. Oh, yes, yes. Please share your stories on our Instagram. DM us. Yeah. So to end this episode, we tallied a total of three green flags and one red flag. So in our opinion, this episode of NCIS does pass in terms of forensic accuracy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy this podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram and Patreon, so go look us up there. And we'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. 